Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It is Sunday, June 26, 2022. I'm Blaise Olson, and this is Sunday Take. On Friday morning, the much-anticipated Roe v. Wade decision from the U.S. Supreme Court came down, reversing 50-year precedent on abortion. This truly does change the dynamics of the 2022 election. The question is, will abortion motivate pro-choice voters in a way that they weren't motivated before? That and the economy may be the deciding factor in the election. When we come back, more on Roe v. Wade, the economy, and we sit down with Tom Weiler, CD3 candidate running against Dean Phillips. I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Well, after Friday's historic decision by the Supreme Court, much of the discussion this election year and certainly this weekend will turn to Roe versus Wade and the Supreme Court's overturning of it. And so I want to just break down a few facts. First and foremost, abortion is still legal in Minnesota. Minnesota has a state-level precedent, Doe versus Gomez, that keeps abortion legal in Minnesota. Minnesota may become a magnet state where abortion is legal from surrounding states for not just the abortions, but for physicians and doctors and clinics as well. Something to keep your eye on in the future. Last fall, when the Supreme Court decided to take this case, I started talking to Republican uh, Republican operatives who said that they felt good about 2022 election, presidential midterm, crime, the economy, etc. But they acknowledged that a reversal in Roe could change the dynamics of the 2022 election. And indeed, I believe it will. And it will because Democrats are going to be more energized. Women voters who are pro-choice are going to be more motivated. Now, that doesn't mean that pro-life voters aren't also going to be motivated. But the interesting thing is college-educated women, largely those college-educated women who are pro-choice, have been deciders in much of the campaigns and swing votes uh, since the early 90s. And so that's what we're going to watch. There's a MinPost poll that came out recently that says, you know, where do we stand on uh, abortion in Minnesota? 
Uh, and the truth of the matter is uh, 67% of Minnesotans were against Roe being overturned. And only 28% supported Roe being overturned in Minnesota. So that's a MinPost poll of just a few weeks ago. So that shows that there's a large majority in Minnesota that supports abortion rights. As the MinPost poll breaks it down more, you know, in cases of rape, incest, life of the mother, pregnancy is not viable, those numbers get up into the 70s and 80s. And so really, as you start to dissect this, the first trimester, uh, 64% of Minnesotans believe abortion should be legal. But if you start to go to the second trimester, that number drops to 35. And so there is some dissecting of the way in which people think of this issue, the way they uh, get it. And then on the basic straight question, in all instances in which a woman chooses to have an abortion and her doctor is able to perform it safely, 49% of Minnesotans say yes. 34% say it should be illegal. And 17% are not Sure. And so as we look at that, this is where the age breakdown starts to come in. Younger voters are very intensely in favor of making abortion and keeping abortion safe and legal. College-educated women, a huge opportunity there. And so That's why you can't just say this is one way or another. It is going to change the dialogue of this election. It is going to change the conversation from the governor's race to the attorney general's race down to the legislative races. It's going to mean a lot of changes. It's also going to, you know, change some of these congressional races. Women will cast aside, I believe, some of the bigger issues that were the issues of the year to focus on voting on this issue intensely. So if crime was a concern for suburban women, I think that will be leapfrogged by abortion. And uh, and if quality of education was an issue, I think that will be leapfrogged by abortion. It's one of those intensity issues. And it's certainly going to be an intense campaign. It's going to be an intense debate. There's going to be rallies and protests, etc. I think that we all just need to acknowledge the Roe versus Wade abortion, pro-choice, pro-life has been a polarizing issue as long as I've been following politics. And frankly, it's one of the issues that both sides have used to motivate voters in elections for decades. This year's not going to change. It just probably moves to the top of the list. When we come back, we're going to talk about the economy. What does it look like in greater Minnesota? What does it look like in rural areas? I'm Blois Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO.
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're back on Sunday Take. My first guest this week for a cup of coffee is Ernie Goss. He's the McAllister Chair in Regional Economics at Creighton University in Omaha. And, you know, we've linked to his work in the tip sheets for years. And uh, his Main Street Index is something we look forward to. We watch and really try to understand the upper Midwest economy, which includes obviously Minnesota, the Dakotas, Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas. Uh, Dr. Goss, thanks for joining me today. Good to be with you, Blois. So um, let's just, can you just set the table of kind of where you see the regional upper Midwest economy right now when it comes to the Main Street economy? Because I think we we put a lot of attention into the market, the stock market, you know, in Minneapolis here, we watch the big players like Target and Best Buy and United Health Group. But the economy in the upper Midwest is a balancing act between, you know, those more rural areas, farms, ag, and, you know, the the job drivers that are in, you know, our regional centers or our major cities. So, Can you just kind of set the table of where you think we are here just before July 4th, 2022? Well, of course, uh, thank you. And this is a survey of bank CEOs in rural areas of 10 states, including uh, Minnesota. And these bank CEOs are reporting on economic conditions primarily based on agriculture. Mm -hmm. And our overall reading for the month of June was down below growth neutral. So what we're seeing there, uh, Blois, is uh, that... um, the manufacturing sector is growing at a pretty good pace. The ag sector is growing at a, also a reasonably good pace. It's the businesses on what we call rural Main Street that aren't doing well. That would be, of course, retail sales. And these are small communities. The average community size is 1,300 across the 10 states. So these are small communities. But retail sales not doing very well. Uh, home sales have now declined or now declining not seeing much, even though prices continue to uh, move higher. And for the farmer, uh, the farmer's revenues and, of course, agricultural commodity prices are doing very well. But the problem for the farmer out there but, uh, is that uh, the farmer's costs are rising even faster than the revenues. But even so, the farmer's still in pretty good condition out there in Minnesota and the other nine states. You know, as you say that, I mean, I think the input costs of fuel and fertilizer are obviously headliners for farms. Um, But those rural or Main Street businesses that you talk about, retailers, hardware stores, folks like that, they are probably more directly impacted by, you know, farmers having less money to, you know, discretionary spending or things like that. Have you noticed over the years of this survey that those indicators are much easier or quicker to track than kind of the macro indicators that we would see in the larger national economy? They are. 
And of course, uh, it, it sounds odd for a lot of folks out there to think about the midsection of the country being much more subject to what goes on in China and what goes on in global uh, economic conditions, for example. But that's the case. In other words, agriculture is a global industry. And with that, you're seeing what happened, the lockdowns in China, that telegraphs back to Minnesota, telegraphs back to the regional economy that, that we're surveying. And, and of course, that in terms of prices, uh, the farmer is being hit by, of course, very much higher uh, uh, fertilizer costs, for example, much higher diesel prices, diesel at uh, record prices. So right. transportation remains a big issue for the farmers getting inputs in and outputs out. And of course, again, the global economy is now slowing down and that's going to be hitting the farmer later on. Right now, the farmer, again, we asked the bankers about uh, farm income and they expect 2022 farm income. Now, that would be grain in this case, grain to be about 12 to 13 percent above last year. So still pretty good. It's just what we're seeing uh, looking ahead in our in our crystal ball. Ernie Goss is my guest. He's the McAllister Chair of Regional Economics at Creighton University. They published the Main Street Index that surveys rural bank CEOs about the rural economy or the Main Street economy throughout many states. Um, As we look at this, labor, as I've talked to farmers and ag uh, producers um, uh, and even, you know, ag processors, labor has been another strain point for a couple of years, just like uh, it's been a strain point in larger metropolitan areas. Uh, labor has leverage, as I like to say, as I talk to clients and, and folks we cover. One of the things has been kind of recruiting and retaining. As you look at current environment versus future environment, getting and keeping labor, does that offer kind of off in the horizon uh, an ongoing challenge for uh, you know rural economies? That's a good point. It is a challenge. It is challenging. Uh, since the pandemic, uh, we, we label it uh, February of 2020, the labor, tip, labor force participation rate has not gotten back. It's still well below the pre-pandemic levels. What that means is a lot of individuals retired didn't, and they did not come back into the workforce. A lot of individuals, because of the, I would I would argue, a lot of pay for not working. In other words, the federal yep. government with the stimulus programs pushed in, pushed a lot of individuals to remain on the sidelines. In other words, you're getting almost as much money, almost as much pay for remaining out of the workforce as coming into the workforce. So that's what we're seeing. Now, looking ahead, though, we're talking about that uh, the unemployment rate is very likely to rise. The Federal Reserve is raising interest rates, raised interest rates three times this year. They're, they're going to raise even more in the weeks and months ahead. And of course, that, that's going to push up unemployment rates. And that will be in rural areas as well as urban areas. And it'll be in Minnesota as well as other states out there. So we're going to see uh, a better situation for finding and hiring those, those workers. Unfortunately, economic activity is going to be moving lower as well. So as we wrap this conversation and with Ernie Goss, he's from Creighton University, he's an economist. As, as we start to wrap this conversation, why are, where you see labor participation um, being a strain or labor costs rising, um, 
and a potential for, you know, demand re, I guess I would say, you know, expect China to kind of open up here in the next year. As you look across the horizon, do you see a steady or challenged economy for rural areas in greater Minnesota? I see it more challenging than what we've seen in the previous, say, a couple of years. Looking ahead a year or two, more challenging. The value of the dollar has risen significantly as the Federal Reserve raised rates. And, of course, what that does is make Minnesota agricultural products and U.S. agricultural products less competitively priced abroad. So we're likely to see those agricultural commodity prices moving lower, even as the U.S. economy slows down. And the U.S. economy is going to slow down. When we ask the bankers about uh, looking ahead for a recession, nine out of 10, nine out of 10 of the bankers, bank CEOs, indicated that they expect a recession in the weeks and months ahead. That would be in the next six months to a year. And only 7%, 7% indicated a probability of less than 50%. So the bankers are on the side of a recession in the next six months to a year. And I think that is going to slow the economy down. It'll slow agriculture down. But right now, agriculture is doing good. We're talking about farmland prices uh, uh, moving ahead like something to, to the tune of 20 to 30% year-over-year growth as farmers buy up agricultural land with these high, very solid commodity prices. Final question. <clears throat> Are there things within the ag economy, within farming, knowing that, um, you know, prices have risen, supply chain challenges that could keep ag, um, you know, a little more inoculated from a recession than they have been before? And I say that because I feel like there's been kind of this pent up um, demand or, you know, there's an opportunity that they're there will be more demand globally for their products than there have been in the last two years. That's right. Especially in what what we're looking at Asia and China is, is a big, big uh, target market for agricultural products and also Canada, of course, from Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And those are likely to continue to hold up reasonably well. So you're right. Uh, I think uh, ag is somewhat insulated and that we move more toward a global a global perspective rather than strictly domestic. So the agricultural sector, though, is going to be hit, and we'll see th- those prices coming down. And unfortunately, some of the costs are going to remain high, although energy prices are likely to come down. But what we're seeing out there is a, a farmer that is, it will be some challenging times coming in as the Federal Reserve continues to raise interest rates, probably we're looking at in terms of cost for the the farmer in terms of interest rates, we're looking at at least another one percentage point increase and maybe one to one and a half to even two percentage points higher in interest rates. Of course, that that cost of borrowing is a big issue for the for the farmer. Ernie Goss, thanks for joining us on Sunday Take. When we come back. Thanks for having me, Blois. Thank you for having me. No problem. When we come back, Tom Weiler, he's the Republican running in the third congressional district against Dean Phillips. We'll sit down and have a conversation over a cup of coffee about why he thinks he can beat Dean Phillips in 2022. I'm Blois Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 
WCCO. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Final cup of coffee this Sunday morning is with Tom Weiler. He's running for... Congress in Minnesota's third congressional district against Dean Phillips. He has the Republican endorsement. He has a very impressive past military service to this country. And I just want to first start out by acknowledging that, thanking Tom for his service. Tom, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Well, thank you very much for having me on this morning, boys, and uh, really appreciate the opportunity to, to both talk with you and all your great Minnesota listeners. Tom, just by way of background, I know you have roots in Minnesota, but you went away for service. Why don't you give just your basic story and, and where you've been before you decided to run for Congress? Well, thank, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I uh, was actually grew up right in the district down in Ian Prairie, graduated high school in um, 1996, uh, just before Ian Prairie started winning state titles in football, but, but I like to think I laid the groundwork for that. <laughs> um, and then after, uh, uh, after high school, I attended the University of Notre Dame on a Navy ROTC scholarship. And upon graduation, was commissioned as an ensign and headed down to nuclear power school um, with the Navy down in South Carolina. And then out to the first of four submarines I served on in the Pacific. I was stationed in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, on the USS Chicago for my first submarine. Um, And then for, yeah, the last 20 years, I was a submarine officer, served on four different submarines, working my way up to the executive officer position on the USS Michigan. And uh, throughout the the Navy career, I also had uh, stints in D.C., uh, working as a legislative defense fellow, worked in the Pentagon in various offices, uh, was a flag aide out in the Pacific Fleet. So really had a, um, you know, joined the Navy, see the world really, really happened in my case and uh, really was enjoying, enjoying the submarine community. And I screened for a commanding officer early and was on my way to take command of a submarine and unfortunately got diagnosed with early onset Parkinson's disease. So that was a big curveball about five years ago, just after the birth of my son. And uh, for about the next uh, four and a half years in the Navy, I uh, requested some medical waivers to return to the submarine force to uh, take command because I knew I could still do that. And uh, my neurologist supported that waiver. Unfortunately, the Navy is pretty risk adverse on that stuff, especially for a potential commanding officer. And and naval reactors eventually said, uh, not going to happen. But uh, I did get one more uh, deployment in. I volunteered for a deployment on the USS Eisenhower, an aircraft carrier. So I was over in the Middle East in 2020 for about seven months. Um, and that experience, actually, a specific experience on that deployment, uh, really uh, really got me interested in returning uh, after I retired to run for office. And that was on May 29th, 2020. Woke up to stay, prepare for watch as Battle Watch Captain on the Eisenhower and uh, turned on Armed Forces Network to see what was going on in the world. And uh, to my shock and sadness, it was uh, the streets of Minneapolis were on fire and the 3rd Police Precinct was being abandoned. And uh, I was um, looking for answers from leaders and politicians back home, and there was simply none to be found, no leadership. And it was at that moment that I decided I, I did, not, did not think the, the government leaders back in Minnesota, including Representative Dean Phillips, uh, was doing a, an adequate job representing the great folks in Minnesota's third district. So I decided at that point, if, uh, if Parkinson's disease did indeed prematurely in my submarine career, I would uh, 
return home to Minnesota with my wife and two little kids, a four and a six year old, and and try to continue to serve my country by uh, serving in Congress. Um, um, you know, it's interesting you bring up that moment, and you know, obviously everybody looks at that moment, especially if you're from Minnesota. And I can only imagine if you weren't here while it was happening, what it looked like uh, and what those feelings would be. Because those of us who were here, you know, we're a little shocked uh, and and had, you know, definite change of emotion about certain things. Um, as you're gearing up to run for Congress, you take that moment, you take other issues. Um, you know, is it about what Dean Phillips could have done or not done at that moment? Or are there other issues that you look at Dean Phillips and think, you know what, he doesn't, you know, I could be a better member of Congress than he could. And really um, appreciate the question. And and really your last point sort of hits the nail on the head. Um, You know, I don't think uh, Congressman Dean Phillips is a bad person. In fact, I was just out in Washington, D.C., and I uh, contacted his office and said I'd like to come in and meet Congressman Phillips to introduce myself. And, uh, you know, get our race off on the right foot. And he uh, accepted that. So I just met Congressman Phillips for the last time, a few, or for the first time, a few days ago. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, I can be a more effective and better represent the Minnesotans in the third district. I think I'm more in alignment with their uh, core values and the Minnesota values. And specifically when it comes to that tragic day in Minneapolis um, and, and law enforcement and our crime wave in general, I think, unfortunately, Congressman Dean Phillips and many other leaders in the district and in the state just shied away from a required opportunity of leadership. In the military, uh, you have positional leadership. When I was the executive officer, either on a good day or a very bad day, uh, you were required to be a leader. And, and I think, obviously, on May 29, 2020, uh, as an elected leader in, in Minnesota throughout the state, uh, you had a requirement and a responsibility to, to step up to that position and be a leader and 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 support law enforcement and get our city back in control. And I do not think uh, Congressman Phillips did that. Um, and the other big issues to me are education and the economy. And I think Congressman Phillips, unfortunately, has supported the Biden failed agenda on both of those aspects, specifically on the economy. Um, and unfortunately, bad uh, support or correction, bad voting record of Congressman Dean Phillips and the support of um, of a lot of the Biden administration policies have have clearly led to five and a half, six percent inflation and and high crime rates in the district and in Minneapolis. Tom, on Friday, the Supreme Court reversed Roe versus Wade. Now, it doesn't impact Minnesota because Minnesota has a, a state level precedent. So abortion will still be legal in Minnesota. But the third district is a moderate district. And, you know, some of the indications of the last few elections are that moderate you know, more independent voting women who were pro-choice, you know, were part of the reason why Dean Phillips was able to beat Eric Paulson. As that's going to be one of those passion issues uh, that people discuss and debate in 2022, where do you come down on the Supreme Court's decision and, uh, and that issue when it comes to voters in the third district? Well, I'm, I'm uh, pro-life, um, straightforward. I'm, I'm pro-life. Uh, it's, you know, because of my upbringing, my faith and my beliefs. Um, so I will always uh, support life from natural, natural conception until natural, natural death. Um, and so that's where I stand personally. Uh, legislatively, I think it's the right answer by the Supreme Court to shift that decision away from 
nine justices on the Supreme Court and give that decision back to the people at the state level so they can elect legislators at the state level um, and, and they can legislatively decide state by state on, on the specific rules for abortion. And, and thirdly, how I look at that issue of abortion sort of holistically is from a pragmatic position, um, I think it's a great tragedy in this country that 700,000, on average, 700,000 babies have been aborted, uh, you know, over the last uh, year. So anything I can do to lower that number of abortions to me is, is um, you know, saving, saving babies. So things like uh, supporting uh, care for young mothers, prenatal care, making sure adoption uh, options are resourced and, and properly uh, sort of advertised so, so young women or old women, whoever uh, becomes pregnant, knows that they have other options uh, than aborting that baby if, if, they don't, if they do not think motherhood is uh, in their future. So uh, that's where I stand on that issue. And, and of course, it, it is absolutely a, an emotional issue and, and a real important issue uh, for, for our country. And specifically, I think it, it's in the right position now back at the state level and state legislations uh, to determine those rules. Tom as, we, Tom, as we start to wrap this conversation, you look at you know that issue, you look at Dean Phillips being a little more moderate. You've obviously served our country. Um, I think it's classy that you reached out to him, and I would expect the same class that he would meet with you. And, um, you know, there's one thing about the tone and tenor of politics in this country that I think, you know, Dean Phillips deserves some credit on because he has not been kind of the the partisan flamethrower in the media and things like that. He's tried to bring people together. Is that the way in which you'd serve? Or do you see that, you know, the direction of the Biden administration requires a little more pointed uh, tenor and tone for this campaign? Yeah, sort of two parts uh, answer to that. First, on the, the policy side of the House, um, you know, the policies of the Biden administration need to be reversed um, in, in many cases. The energy policy is clearly contributing to paying five and a half dollars for a gallon of gas in Minnesota. The policy on the southern border is uh, is unfortunately a complete disaster. That That's um you know, we are a country with the rule of law and we do have borders and it's not up to an executive order to simply decide not to enforce those rules and allow um, unknown people to cross the border and, and unknown levels or amounts of fentanyl and, and the other issues associated with that. So there's specifically policy issues, certain issues that, that I will, uh, you know, be 180 degrees out of alignment with the types of policies that um, Representative Dean Phillips supports. And as far as um, being a moderate, I'm, I am a Minnesota moderate, and, and that's how I will, uh, you know, to me, I'm a pragmatic uh, sort of decision maker who wants to serve the people of Minnesota and, and the greater good in our, in our country. So that's what will drive me to make my decisions. And I do think your representation of Congressman Phillips is a uh, nice individual is absolutely correct. However, I do disagree on representing him as a moderate. And I think you just have to look at his voting record. This session, he's voted 100 percent with Speaker Pelosi. Um, so even though you can say the word moderate a lot, uh, your voting record definitely uh, defines where you stand on a lot of positions and a lot of the failed Biden administration policies. And when you're voting 100 percent in alignment with uh, Speaker Pelosi and the, the goals of President Biden, I, I actually do, do not think you're, you're policy wise a, a moderate at all. Tom Weiler, I know we'll talk throughout the campaign. Thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Thank you very much, Blois. Uh, thanks again for the opportunity to speak with you and the great Minnesotans. And please check out my website at weilerforcongress.com uh, if you'd like to know anything else about uh, our campaign and where, where we'll be at this summer 
uh, waving the flag and walking in the parades. Thank you, boys. Have a great morning. It is Sunday take every Sunday at nine o'clock on WCCO. You know, we will discuss the road decision with Vanita tomorrow at 620. And make sure you tune in to the sub WCCO radio this week. The new lineup has started. Adam Carter at 9 a.m. and Jason DeRussia at 3 p.m. I'm Blaise Olson. Talk to you next week. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 